0: Welcome to Working for Women, the Independent Women's Forum podcast, where we are changing the conversation about women and public policy for the better.
1: Hello, my name is Patrice Muka, and I'm a senior policy analyst at the Independent Women's Forum. So do you remember Schoolhouse Rock and ABC after-school specials? I mean, how many of you would race downstairs on Saturday mornings to your family room to watch cartoons for hours when you were growing up? I certainly did. Now, our kids today will probably never appreciate doing that. They probably won't even appreciate those mini animated shows with catchy tunes about how laws bills become laws because, honestly, today we have so much more access to kids' educational programs at any time, you know, from PBS Kids to YouTube Kids and and lots of other options out there. So what's interesting is that technology has expanded the amount of content our children can consume. But regulations governing children's program on broadcast TV just has not kept up. So our special guest today wants to drag those regulations from the 90s into this decade. We have with us Commissioner Michael O'Reilly. He's a federal communications commissioner and he wants to reform so-called KidVid regulations to give broadcasters greater flexibility in how they comply with mandates on educational program. Commissioner O'Reilly, what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our program today.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: Terrific. Now, so let's let's just begin. Help our listeners understand how kids programming on broadcast is currently regulated.
0: Sure. So children's television programming, as you mentioned, better known as KidVid, starts from a 1990 statute by Congress, Children's Television Act. And from that, the FCC imposed regulations, uh, mainly in 1996 and 2004, a little bit in 2006. And we ratcheted up the obligations on local broadcast uh, stations in terms of what they're required to offer and when. And so uh, today, a local broadcast station has to offer on average three hours of children's television per week uh, that is regularly scheduled, 30 minutes in, in blocks, can't be less than 30 minutes, uh, and air between the hours of 7 a.m. and 10 p.m. There's a number of reporting requirements in terms of looking back and looking forward. That The, the total package uh, keeps broadcasters from having flexibility to offer uh, different things that may come up um, or address the fact that the consumers in the marketplace may be looking for more news, um, and what you've seen is the FCC rules have dumbed down the programming overall.
1: What's interesting about that is, you know, when I, I when I look at TV uh, Saturday morning programming, for example, kids programming, it's really different than when I grew up in the '80s. I mean, I remember those short animated videos or or the the different varieties of of kids programming, um, but now I think about it, we children today don't access you know their their educational programming the way they did back in the '90s and, and even in the early 2000s. And so, you know, can you talk a little bit about just how um, the market has responded in providing these different types of of
0: educational programming? No, absolutely. That's that's one of the reasons why the commission needs to revise its rules. The marketplace for children's television programming has exploded in the last many years. Not only do you have children's television uh, children's programming that is dedicated just to children, or excuse me, cable programming that's dedicated just to children, but you have a plethora. of over-the-top providers and online providers that are trying to, to address consumer and children's needs um, on a daily basis, whether it be actual programming live or video content that's that's available for pull-down uh, as, as they so need, as my child does, loves to pull from the libraries and binge-watch a number of programs in a row <laughs> rather than having a set time on Saturday morning. And so that's why we have to revise our rules. The marketplace has changed dramatically, and broadcasters are stuck behind the time because of the FCC
1: see. I know my, my stepson, he's six years old almost, and he definitely does not just stick to television broadcast watching. So I understand. <laughs> and I think a lot of the moms out there will appreciate that too. Now let's, let's talk a little bit about the reforms you have in mind. Can you talk about maybe the top three reforms? I, I, I certainly read through everything, but I'm sure our listeners may not have time, but we'd love to, to know what are those top three reforms that you would like to see?
0: Sure. So the, the first and foremost is we're going to take comment. Uh, the item that we released publicly last Thursday will be uh, hopefully adopted at our July meeting, uh, and, uh, July uh, 12th. The, the, hopefully the full commission will endorse this. And we'll, we'll take comment for the next couple months. And the top three items in my mind are asking questions on all the different components I already talked about that are sitting in our rules today. The 30-minute block, the regularly scheduled, the three-hour requirement, and all our paperwork obligations. All those things we're we're going to take comment and say, should they still should it still look like this? Should it change? Number two, we're going to ask the question uh, and and really tease out: Is it possible that we could have a broadcaster switch uh, from its primary signal, where its children's television is located today, to its D2 or D3 channel? So therefore, it can offer different things on its primary signal, while well, making sure that it notifies parents and families of where children's television can be found. And for those families that watch it today that do they do like that, uh, you know, there are some, and we want to make sure it's, it's a small population, obviously, but we do want to make sure we don't try to harm those that may enjoy this programming. So we want to have a place, you know, give them the option to put to, to put this uh, programming. And the third thing I would say is we ask questions on something that's actually allowed in, this, it required, you know, actually allowed in the statute, and that is whether local broadcasters can uh, sponsor programming on another uh, channel within the marketplace and they can pool dollars together for purposes of you know, making one station or other stations more children friendly. So can they increase the children television programming on another channel by sponsoring it rather than trying to everyone do it themselves. Maybe there's a, an opportunity to have one be more kid friendly than, than the others and then give them some freedom to offer other programming instead.
1: So it sounds to me like coming out of this, um, some of the reforms—I mean, the the impact of your reforms—could be greater flexibility for the broadcasters, obviously, but maybe even greater um, uh, a variety or access to different types of, of broadcast program and programming in different ways. You know, are there other implications you can see for families uh, if these reforms are, are implemented?
0: Well, I think you hit the nail on the head, and that is the flexibility um, and better opportunity for children. That's what we're trying to get at. There'll be claims making that I'm against children or I'm trying to kill off children's television. That's not true. We're just trying to you know, address the marketplace today and make it better environment for everybody in the process. I'm sure uh, you know, there'll be advocates who will disagree with where we're going, and that's why we're starting the process and, and initially with an NPRM sort of taking comments. So I really don't think people should object to mm-hmm this stage. This is about collecting comments and just seeing where to go from here.
1: Well, I mean, you you introduced some of the, the potential opponents or people who might criticize these efforts. Uh, what, what do you think that some of the uh, the opponents or critics uh, critiques of this reform could be?
0: Well, well, one in particular has been raised is what do you do with those families that only have over-the-air programming today, they don't have the resources to go on to. They don't have a broadband subscription. They don't have cable television. What, what are you going to p- do for them? Um, they they rely on over-the-air today, to, you know, programming today. Mm-hmm. And w- what happens going forward? And that's why we spent so much time trying to figure out this multicasting option. Well, if you can switch it to multicasting, you, you make sure they know where it is. You don't denigrate it. Um, you know, is there an opportunity uh, that that gives more flexibility? Well, not harming the program. So that's one of the biggest complaints and concerns we've had, and we. Try to address it head-on.
1: You know, and, and I, I, I appreciate that. You know, I've, I've read it, for example, from Senator um, Markey from Massachusetts. I, I grew up in Massachusetts. I think he's concerned that there's a very big constituency of the um, low-income families who don't have access to cable or internet access at home. Um, do you have a sense of really how big that group is? Because maybe there's a, a, a in addition to what you've um, you've laid out in terms of multi-channel access, but maybe there are other alternatives to uh, to To it to target this particular group of of viewers who wouldn't be able to access all of this content in any in any other way. Do you, do you have a sense of how big that audience could potentially be?
0: Yeah. So we're going to take comments and hopefully people will provide more data. But the data point I've seen recently is 0.5% of households don't have that that have over the air uh, only today with families to, you know, that they, they get it, that, 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 that distributed that mechanism. So it's a really small population, but we do care about that mm-hmm. population. I'm not trying to harm it. I would say that those people who are worried about this, I'd say, you know, one of the first things you should look at is look at what's happening on public television. They have an incredible, incredible mm-hmm. offering of children 's programming many of that many of that content is shifting over over the years and going to cable and going to over the the air it's so good that it, and so popular mm-hmm. that it's be, that it's ex, you know expanding elsewhere and so I just in Michigan talking to the local uh, public uh, broadcast station in East Lansing uh, at Michigan State University and we had a wonderful opportunity to see what how many hours and hours that they're offering in public The PBS system overall has been um, has, has a 24/7 kids channel that's available over 95 percent of America today is, is is able to get this and then we're talking we're not talking you know on, the, on a primary signal from PBS in in East Lansing they're offering I think 57 or 58 hours a week and on the on the on the 24/7 kids channel they're offering 160 hours a week of this content so that that, that totally pales and compare you know what a broadcaster is able to offer when we talk about two mm-hmm. or three hours at this particular time in this particular slot i would say public broadcasting is doing a wonderful job it's part of their mission um that's where if you know as a family that's where i turn to and some of the programming that i Mm -hmm. see now on on cable is and other mechanisms is from public broadcasting i think thomas the tank engine and 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 (laughs) almo and a bunch of other things have migrated and hbo is now doing sesame street all the good things that public broadcasting has done in the past is now migrating
1: that's terrific. I'm glad you highlighted that point, point. and I know a lot of our listeners, your kids, are, are grew up watching Elmo and Sesame Street, and you know now they're, you know, they're fans of, um, of of Arthur and and some of the all those characters that they can access. And so I I think that's a really good point to to push back on critics who may fear that. You know, certain constituencies may get left behind or fall through the cracks. No, there's a lot of content through public broadcasting that would still be able, that they'd still be able to access. So, uh, Commissioner, just one final question. If folks really want to weigh in on this um, and, and provide some comments, maybe some of their personal experiences or data that may, they, they may have access to, how can they do that?
0: So we have a pretty consumer-friendly filing mechanism here at the commission. Assuming that the item gets adopted at our July 12th meeting, which I think is a fair good shot. I spent my time trying to make this a very – you know, a reasonable approach. And I think that my colleagues will support it. Um, but I think that, you know, when we do that, um, if that that happens, then consumers will have an opportunity and viewers and your listeners will have an opportunity to file comments um, on our website. Um, I don't want to advocate for that because I try to, you know, let people do what they, what they think sure. is best. <laughs> but those that are interested should feel free to, to, to submit submit their comments. And we do read them. The commission does read all comments that are filed. I can't promise that I read every single one because depending on the scope of them, but we do read... Um, that Someone does read every comment that's filed.
1: That's terrific. Well, Commissioner O'Reilly, thank you so much for your time this afternoon and, and bringing down what these kid bid proposal reforms really mean for, uh, for viewers, for consumers, and also for the broadcasters and providing them greater flexibility. Uh, to our listeners out there, please check out a great op-ed written by Commissioner O'Reilly. It's in the Wall Street Journal, um, and it's called A Smarter Approach to Saturday Morning Cartoons. Uh, we actually linked to it in, in a couple of uh, pieces of commentary that I, I wrote on our website. So visit IWF.org as well. Uh, and don't forget, please like us on iTunes, rate us so that we can continue to attract new people to discover these conversations. And visit IWF.org for more analysis on politics, pop culture, and policy. We hope you'll tune in again.
0: If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please give it a thumbs up. Share it on social media or stop by IWF.org for similar content.